Uh, James serves as the lead pastor at Real Church in Pataskala. And, uh, and so for further questions for him, I'm certain he'll give his information a couple times, but I'm going to give it out now. If you'd like to talk to him afterwards, uh, like after the session and after Synergy ends, or if you're listening by a podcast, you can go to myrealchurch.tv and click on contact. There's a, a, a simple email form you can fill out there and you can reach out and talk to James that way, okay? Uh, I've already let you know where the restrooms are. At this time, please welcome James Dewhurst as he comes. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Is everybody doing well? Yes. Is it killing some of you? Well, I don't. You won't miss any March Madness games this morning, right? They'll start this afternoon. So some of y'all will have the app, and you'll be half listening and then half watching with the volume down. I see how y'all roll. So. Well, welcome. Good to have all of you today. And uh, I'm just going to shortly introduce who I am to you uh, with a few little pieces of information. And then we're going to laugh a little bit and then we're going to jump right into the material. So excited to have you. I'm honored to be here. And uh, the Ohio Ministry uh, Network is a fantastic organization and we love to be a part of it. So uh, so I my name is James Dewars. I've been married for about 16 years uh, and I have two beautiful children. So that's my wife right there, and that's my son who's uh, my media director today. I grabbed my 13-year-old and said, hit these buttons, all right? So he, he's got me, and then there's my daughter right there. Uh, and uh, so I have a wonderful uh, family. They are beautiful, amazing people. And uh, I uh, served in youth ministry for about 14 and a half years. I was the music director uh, at a church, worship leader, uh, and then a youth pastor for a long time and served in Columbus for 12 and a half years at the Redeemer's on Courtright Church, uh, Pastor Jarvis, any of you guys knew uh, him from years ago. He's a pretty, pretty legendary guy around town. And then um, in Atlanta for almost three years uh, at, at a church of God, large church of God down there. So uh, that's my background. And about 23 months ago, we started a church from scratch. And our goal was to go uh, where there wasn't really anything like what we were trying to do. And so uh, here's just some pictures scrolling of the church that we started 23 months ago uh, in a school and um, just, you know, had a few people on our team, uh, picked an area that is developing, Potasco is a growing area, but it's not developed yet, you know, so it's uh, relatively rural and, uh, and, you know, that's just one way we do two services. That was a picture of just one of the two. And so uh, God's really blessed it a lot in the short amount of time. Uh, that it's been open. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So um, I'm going to jump right in here. I, I'm, and these are some pictures of outreaches and stuff we do. Um, I'm the kind of person that loves to laugh, all right? And on Sunday mornings, we always incorporate humor into what we're doing. So I'm going to throw up a few signboard messages for you today, if I could, uh, that, that uh, are funny, peculiar, maybe ones you'd love to use. Here's one. Do not crit- uh, criticize your wife's judgment. See whom she married, all right? So I thought that was a great signboard message that was out there. And if you're a part of church, you know, you see these everywhere. Here's another one. What happens in Vegas is forgiven here. I thought that was, it's a pretty good one, all right? You just, it's all about that grace, about that grace, about that grace, no devil. If you've heard about the, the song, there's a song out that's kind of a pop song. And I, like, I thought this one was cute. Jesus is the rizzle for the sizzle. I have no idea what that means, but I just thought the sign was cool and I wanted to share it with you today, all right? Uh, uh, and by the way, this one got cut off, so forgive me. It says, now is a good time to visit um, our pastor is, and the next line is, on vacation, all right? So it got cut off, and I thought, I, I don't know quite why they posted that, all right? But come on, the pastor's out here. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back, okay? So, 
Yeah, that's that's pretty good right there. And then here's another one. Bring your sin to the altar and drop it like it's hot. All right? Come on, somebody. That's You need to preach a series called Drop It Like It's Hot. I think that's good, right? Changing churches. Does it matter which one you stay home from? <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. You know you want to get that one out. Revival canceled due to death. Okay? Yeah, I, that's... Kill you, okay? Easter, Easter comes once a year. How often do you? All right, that was that's a great one to put put out there. Midnight mass and toga party. Bring your own baby Jesus. Okay, I just it's interesting right there. And Maury is not the only place to find your father. You can find him in church. Come on, somebody. You don't need no DNA testing. Come on. Staying in bed and shouting, "Oh God!" does not constitute going to church. All right, and I think that's all of them, isn't it? So. So there, I just wanted to share some of those with you and uh, thought maybe you'd get a little laugh. I'm going to share a little story as we jump in. And, and what we're going to do for the next few moments is I'm going to talk about a problem, okay? And then we're going to give you practical solutions. I believe, and, and let me just say this, I grew up in church my whole life. I love the church. I love the established church. I love the new church. If there's a building open and there's a steeple on top, I want to be there because I love God's church and I love God's people. So that is genuine through and through. But when you grow up in church, you learn a lot of things that are strong, weak. There's, you know, there's different seasons in the church where the church does great here and then does poor here and goes up and down. And I feel like we are in a season uh, of the church uh, where there's a problem. And I want to talk about practical solutions. Um, but let me open with a story. There's a new pastor that showed up at a church uh, in Oklahoma, and he rolls into uh, Oklahoma, a small town in Oklahoma, the only church in town. Spends his first four days in town, and he rolls in, and he looks through all of the, the church role of all the people that claim to be members of the church, and he goes around and for four straight days visits every single person that's on the church rolls and says, hey, listen, I would love for you to come to my first service next Sunday. Tells all the people, personally invites them, does all the right stuff. Next Sunday comes... And the church is all but empty. You know, two or three folks are there in the church. And he says, wow, did all that work? Three people here. So he puts an ad out in the paper on Monday morning. And the ad reads in the local paper, um, the, uh, the, the local church in our town has officially died. Okay? Funeral arrangements are scheduled for next Sunday morning at the same time service is regularly scheduled for. And then he says in the ad, I think it would only be proper that we give God's church a proper burial and show our respects you should all be here. Next Sunday comes, the entire church is packed wall to wall with people, right? Pastor gets up, man, he stands up, he does his eulogy. There's a coffin sitting down in front, closed. There's flowers all over the coffin, man. And he does his short eulogy. After he finishes, he goes over and he grabs the front of the coffin and he opens it up. And then he tells everybody, this concludes our service today. We would like to welcome all of you to come forward one at a time and pay your final respects to our dead church. So people out of morbid curiosity jumped up. And of course, everybody wanted to see what was in the casket. One at a time, as they walked down and looked in the casket, you would see their you know, interested faces turned to a little bit of shame. And they would turn and walk out of the room. As they approached one at a time, they found as they looked into the coffin, nothing more than a large mirror. The reality is, come on somebody, every once in a while the church has got to look in the mirror and realize that if there's something dead in the church, it's dead because it's dead in us. Come on somebody, can't blame it on a building, come on, can't blame it on program. We've got to, we've got to look in the mirror and say, God, what in me needs to change? What in us 
needs to come to life, all right? And by the way, I have a lot of fun, and I've got a lot of energy, all right? So you can talk, amen, hallelujah. You can even get up and shake your hand if you want to. We're gonna have a, come on. Y'all with me today, amen? Come on, wave it. Come on. There we go. There we go. All right, so we're going to have a good time. Uh, I'm going to share these stats with you only because... I'm using this as an illustration. The, uh, our church opened 23 months ago. Uh, starting a church is incredibly hard. Very, 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 very hard. If you have the idea to do it, think about the fact that it is very, very, very hard before you do it. But, um, but God is still graceful, and he gives us the ability to get it done. After 23 months of being open, um, we have seen over 200 first-time conversions to Christ in the Pataskal area. We did our first three outreaches... Uh, we visited thousands of homes on foot and connected with people, and we did it all on Sunday morning. Why? Because if they're home on Sunday morning, they're not going to somebody else's church. I'm not interested in taking people from anybody else's church. The body of Christ does not grow when people empty someone else's cupboards. All right? It only grows when we find people that aren't going somewhere. All right? And so we've seen 200 uh, salvations come to Christ because we went after people that weren't in church. All right? Uh, we've seen 110 baptisms in 23 months. The church is averaging about 220 folks. Um, you know, that includes the summer slump. You know, we have some weeks that are 300. We have some in the summer. Boy, it gets a little rough. Everybody. We're like, dude, man, y'all, y'all went on vacation this week. But uh, about 220 is the average over 23 uh, months. Uh, 350 people are actively in the church. Uh, we have 115 serving in a ministry and 120 folks are attending a community group currently, okay, which we do twice a year. So I'm just giving you those stats. Here's the question. How many established churches do you think, established, well-established churches, do you think have led more than 200 people to Christ in the last 23 months? How many established, you know, gosh, we got career Christians. They've, they've been following Christ for 30 years, man. They know everything. How many of those kind of churches have led more people to Christ do you believe in the last 23 months than in this, in just in the country, than this small little church that started out of nowhere in a rural area in Pataskal, Ohio? <laughs> they say statistically that new churches win more people to Christ than any other institution or you know, under heaven, any other, any other model, any other system, more than, more than anything else, small new churches, plants, win more people to Christ. And you say to yourself, why? I mean, but why? Why does God have to raise up new churches to win lost people? Why does he have to do that? He's doing it because he, got, he has to win lost people, right? So he's going to do whatever he has to do to get lost people into the kingdom. But why does he have to raise up new churches? Here's, here's the question for us to consider. Why are established churches, which have more people, which have more facility, greater facilities, which have way more resources being outperformed by new churches that have little or no resources at all. Why is that the case? Okay? I think it's a fair question to, to ask. And, and I believe the church in America has a problem. And I'm going I'm to be inspirational. I'm, I'm going to hammer us for a few. And then, again, we're going to end on a really good note. So the church in America has one major problem. I'm going to tell you what it is. The church has a ghetto problem. Okay? You guys have been wondering, what's going on? The church has gone ghetto. I'm just going to be straight up with you. And I'll explain in a minute. The church has gone ghetto, and that's why the church is not reaching lost people. You say, the church has gone ghetto. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, the church, corporately and people individually, have developed what I call a ghetto mentality. 
and it is literally killing the life of the church. Let me explain. Webster's most general definition of ghetto is simply this, an isolated group. That's what ghetto means. A ghetto, a ghetto mentality is an isolated mentality. We are over here, and everyone else is over there. The church has a ghetto problem. The church has its own language. The church has its own apparel. Come on, somebody. You can amen me right about now. The church has its own section in the bookstores. I mean, walk into Barnes & Noble. I've never understood this. Maybe I'm just too idealistic. But you walk into Barnes & Noble, and you have fiction. You have nonfiction. You have biography. You have autobiography. And then you have the Christian section. Well, inside the Christian section, there are fiction and nonfiction and biographies. and non- Why aren't our books just integrated in with everybody else? No, no, no. Because, listen, because we have our own section. A bookstore, Barnes & Noble, is a microcosm of society. The church is not integrated inside the world. We have not integrated well. We are over here, and they're over there. And by the way, do you know what people do as sections? They walk by them. That's right. They walk by sections, okay, because they can because they're able to. Because of this mentality, the church is growing more and more irrelevant day by day in the world that we're living in that's changing constantly. The truth is, we're making very little impact outside of our church walls. That's the truth. It's hard truth. When you look in the mirror, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't encourage you. But sometimes, you, you, you know, we always tell our congregations and our people, you know, the truth will set us free. Well, friends, I'm here to set us free this morning. Me too, because I'm constantly wrestling with the same thing. You say, well, what do you mean? Let me just give you a few statistics that help us realize why this is a problem, why we have a ghetto mentality in the church in America. Established churches spend 65% of their money and budgets on staff salaries, okay, which... You know, just rolling this out. I'm on a staff, okay? So 65% on budgets and staff salaries. Established churches spend 30% of their money on paying for the buildings that they're in. The average church spends two cents on every dollar for missions and outreach. Two cents of every dollar in, in the United States of America. Two cents, okay? The average church in America is winning one to three people to Christ in a calendar year. You think about the hundreds of millions of dollars we are investing into buildings, into lighting, into videos, into staff people, into programs, into (laughs) curriculum, and we're gaining one to three people in a calendar year, folks. 52 weeks, all the classes, all the Bible, all of this stuff collectively is yielding one to three people to Christ per year. You know what's interesting, though? But we're, we're, we're yielding what we're investing. You invest two cents of every dollar, you're getting two souls every year. I mean, it's just, it, it's a direct reflection of what's going on. Let me explain a little further. And, and, and by the way, there's not a business in America that would stay open with that kind of growth. Not one. Every business would say, every, listen, every CEO or CFO, would they be fired? You know what I mean? And they'd clean house if you were having that kind of production in the business world. And I know the church is different, but one to three is not a great growth percentage, okay? It's just not. One to three percent. Over 95% of the church's resources are spent on maintaining themselves. And that's what I want to talk about today. Why? Because Christians have forgotten what the purpose of the church is. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what? That which was lost. We've heard it a million times. 
The Bible says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we've heard it a million times, the Great Commission, but I've got to say it one more time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Friends, listen, Jesus said go, but we've decided to stay. We've decided to stay in our houses, to stay in our buildings, to stay in our comfortable chairs. We've decided to stay. And can I tell you, listen, friends, and people, people are, you know, there's statistics and George Barna talk about the church corporately in America. We're losing people and, you know, the church is, you know, we're losing people. We're hemorrhaging people. They're leaving the church and, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, listen, friends, you cannot, we cannot ignore the commandments of God and expect the blessings of God. You can't do it. You can't say, okay, God, you said go. We're all going to sit here inside our comfortable little building and think we're just going to chill and hang out and you're just going to fill our church up. I mean, for years, there's people that have been thinking, oh, and then listen, God's just, they're just going to flood in. One day, they're just all going to stop. My signboard message, this, so it was funny, and that's going to fill the... They're not ever going to flood in. We got to flood out. You know what I'm saying? We got to get outside of the place that we're hanging out inside. Come on, somebody. Amen? Amen. By the way, I love you. I'm not mad. I'm just trying to inspire you today, all right? You paid money. We want to get your money's worth, all right? Luke 15, 4 through 7. Another one, real quick. Parable of the lost sheep. It says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lose, you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave, and remember Jesus said this, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not. The number one priority on Jesus' to-do list every single day is lost people. Every day. Hey, lost people. That's number one on his list all the time. Don't get me wrong. Jesus loves the found, but his priority is the lost. Once you're in the kingdom, here's the goal. Let me get you saved, and then you join me and help me get other people saved. But the problem is we get saved, and then we say, okay, Jesus, now that I'm saved... I want you and I want everybody to focus all your attention on taking care of me now. Make me feel better. Make me happy. You know what I'm saying? And help me, you know, kiss my boo-boo. And, and so what we do is we just, this is what we focus in on, right? But it's not supposed to be the way that it is. Jesus will leave the 99 every single time to go after the one. He said it himself. I would leave 99 why? You're found. You're together. It's good. You're going to make it to heaven. But this guy's not. So I'm going to focus all of my energy and attention on finding the one that's not. The church cheers for. You get up on Sunday morning and you say, how many of y'all believe we need to win people to Christ? Everybody in your congregation will go, oh man, yeah, that's awesome. The church, church cheers for and loves the concept of winning the lost. But our priority is the found. How do I know? It's proven in the way we spend our time and our money. That's how I know our priority is the found. The church has chosen to leave the one in order to maintenance the 99. And I know that's hard, and I know that's convicting, but it is true, my friends. It is true. The consequence of the church's decision to stop reaching out is that the church now only produces consumers instead of disciples. Wow. All we're doing is producing consumers. It's all about you. 
Come on in. I'll turn the AC up for you. I'll make you comfortable. I'll give you what you want. I'll promise my next child to you. I mean, whatever I got to do to keep you here. Come on, somebody. Barna Research says 80% of Christians say they believe it's important to share their faith. 80% of the body of Christ in America says it's important to share my faith. I believe in that. Only 33% will ever invite someone to their church. And listen to this. This is the one that will rip your heart out. 95% of people that call themselves Christians will go to the grave having never led one person to Jesus Christ. 95%. And you say to yourself, how is that even possible? Why? Why could someone go to church for 30, 40 years Go to the grave and never win one person to Christ. Let me tell you how and why. Because our church culture told them it was okay. Because we never pushed them to do it. We never decided that it was not okay to be this way anymore. We created a culture where it was comfortable for you to just come, sit, take, critique, criticize, and then move on to the next place when you're not happy with what we're bringing to the table anymore. That's good. And the Bible tells us a story, and I'll tell you real quick. I'll just paraphrase it, but you guys all remember the story of Zacchaeus, right? The wee little man, Jesus rolls into Jericho. Zacchaeus sees him and says, there's Jesus. I'm going to climb up in the sycamore tree. Climbs up in the tree. Jesus rolls into town. What's the first thing that Jesus does? Because the story tells us there were a bunch of religious people all around. People were all crowded, man. And he's fighting through the crowd, remember? Zacchaeus couldn't even see Jesus from where he was, there were so many people gathered. He had to climb up in a tree. So there's tons of people around. Jesus walks into the crowd of tons of people, and where does he go first? He goes and finds the biggest sinner he can find, which is the guy up in the tree. And he looks at him and he says, let's make dinner plans, man. I want to go hang out and eat some steak with you, or whatever they were making. I don't know what it was. But the interesting thing about the story is when the Christians, when the religious people and the Christians saw this, the Bible says they began to mutter. The word used there is they all began to mutter. You know what that term mutter means? It means to loudly grumble and complain. They started creating dissension. You know, don't you love how Christians are, man? Just, oh, I just can't believe they did that. You know, and it's just this beautiful thing in the body of Christ, right? And, And they begin to loudly complain and mutter, I cannot believe Jesus. What is he thinking, you know? Does he, I mean, I've been studying the Old Testament for 27, I know everything. And he walked right past me. And he's hanging out with that loser over there. I can't believe it. They were frustrated. Do you want to know why they were frustrated? Do you want to know why they muttered and complained when Jesus rolled into town? It's because they thought Jesus was there for them. But he wasn't. He walked right past all of the people that were found, and he said, oh, you're cool, and it's great, man. It's awesome, dude. Nice t-shirt. This guy's going to hell. It's good. This guy's going to hell. The people should have said, when Jesus rolled into town, they should have opened, listen, they should have known he was up in the tree. They should have opened a path, and as he was walking by, all of the Christians should have said, Jesus, you go, boy. Do your thing, man. Look at Jesus, man. Saving more people. Woo! You know what I'm talking about? They should have been fist bumping him as he walked by. And instead, they criticized the Son of God because he was trying to win lost people. Because they thought he was there for them. 
Missions leaders estimate that 100,000 new people enter hell each day in our world. 100,000 every single day go to hell. Every 60 minutes, 4,000 people die without Christ in our world. Every 60 minutes. While you're sitting in here hearing this session today, 4,000 people will die without Christ. And the greatest tragedy is this. There are less than 10 lost people for every one professing believer in our world. If everyone would just win 10. If you, if you could do your 10 and I did my... If everybody just did their 10, right? This thing would be fixed. And then the Bible says, and then the end will come. That's what's so awesome about it. If we would just take care of our 10. Matthew 9, 37-38 says this. Then... He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, what? A few, man. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest fields. Ask him. we got to have some people. The great C.T. Stud, he said this, one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of the gates of hell. That's where I want to be. You, you can hang out inside the church and be comfortable all your life. Tell me where the gates of hell are, and I'm going to stand right in front. You know, great one of the greatest communicators in our country, a legend in youth ministry, her name's Jeannie Mayo. She's a good friend of mine, and I got to uh, serve with her on some things. And wonderful, wonderful lady. She made a statement one time, and I thought it was great at a conference. She said, if people are going to get into hell, they're going to have to climb over my body to get there. Come on. If that, if that was the mindset and the mentality of the church, right? If that's what we really bought into, it would change. Listen, it would, people wouldn't roll into your church and think about the things you don't have or do have for them. They would be going, hey, pastor, where are we going this week? Who, who are we? You know what I'm saying? Is it, I'm ready, man. Let's roll. Hey, you're preaching too long. I got to get out and hit the streets, man. Like, you know, we, it would change the way we did church. A few years back, I'll tell you this real fast, and then I've got some special things to, to close with today. A few years back, when I was a youth pastor in, in Columbus, um, we had a VBS scheduled. You know, how many of y'all have done VBSs at churches? You know, Vacation Bible School is great. Another one of the VBSs with all the cool actors and Fred the Fisherman and whatever uh, was going on. And, and I'll never forget, you know, it was normal. You do it, and then your 40, 50 kids from your church sign up, and, and everybody's going to eat candy and walk around. It's going to be an awesome time. But I had this like deep yearning. I said, well, there's all these apartment complexes down the road. And we had a great influx of some immigrants and some folks that were just down the road. And, and I thought, man, I bet a lot of those people don't even go to church. And so I got a bus. I found a bus driver. And I said, get a bus from your school. And he said, okay. And we went down and we canvassed the neighborhood a week before, passing out stuff saying, we're going to come pick up kids. And I'll never forget the day of the VBS. You know, they, all the church people have their nice little pretty registration set up. And it was like, and you go here, and then they'll get an armband. And then they, and then they have their paper. And then you walk down the hallway, and everything's going to be nice, clean, and pretty, right? Because that's what we want in the church, nice, clean, and pretty. Hey, ministry's messy, by the way. When you really start ministering, it gets real messy around the place. But that's a whole other message. But so, so, man, I got in this bus, and I went out, and I hit the streets, man. And I was walking up and down the projects, man. And I'm just like, look, we're picking, we're taking off in 30 minutes. And I'm, we're going door to door. And, we're, and man, we brought in like 60 kids. Most of them couldn't even speak English. 
And I'm just like, yo, Tango, Usted, whatever. You know what I mean? Follow me, you know? And I'm just having an awesome time with these kids. We're loving them. We found someone who could interpret. And man, we were just, and I'll never forget, we pull up. And you know, it was just the normal kind of dead church thing. Here's our next program. And this bus pulls up and the doors open. And the registration people are like, oh my Lord. You know, I mean, they're losing their mind. You're breaking our system, man. I'm like, of course, you know? And, and, um, and I'll never forget by the end of that week, the life it brought to the church. The children's workers were so excited because people were getting saved, man. And, and they were going back and telling their parents and their parents were coming back. And, and man, life was happening in the church. Can I tell you all something? And I want you to hear this. When lost people enter the church, it brings life, growth, and health. Health. Do you, I, I've got one, listen, I have one anecdote for any dead church. The reason your church is dead is, is only one thing. There's no lost people on the inside. When you bring lost people in your church, I'm telling you, that is revival. Everybody thinks revival is falling out and rolling around and shaking everywhere. That's great if that happens. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I call revival when people turn from the error of their way and accept Jesus Christ into their heart. That's revival, my friends. Twelve hundred Jews were saved from brutal murder during the Holocaust because of the compassion of one man by the name of Oscar Schindler. You guys... The unfortunate reality is six million Jews were brutally murdered during the Holocaust and five million other people, 11 million total, because of the lack of compassion and the ability for the rest of the people to stand there and watch instead of rise up and do something. Do something. Japanese kamikaze pilot, if you know anything about kamikaze pilots, they're supposed to what? Supposed to die, okay, for their mission. Japanese kamikaze pilot, true story, was returning from his 50th mission. And he was interviewed by a reporter. He was getting off the plane. It was like, dude, 50, woo, you know, woo, I made it, man. 50, 50th mission. He was getting off the plane, and the reporter asked, isn't this accomplishment quite a contradiction since you're supposed to give your life by flying into enemy military bases and destroying them because that's your job? And he said, well, it's like this, the pilot responded. I was very involved, just not very committed. Wow, does that sound familiar? Got a lot of people that are very involved, just not very committed. How committed are you to reaching lost people? I got another question. How committed is your church, really committed is your church, to winning lost people? people how committed is it it will never happen if you're just involved you've got to be committed final passage james 520 says this remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins i'll close with something in a moment tell me if this is how you feel sometimes. To say that it's challenging, that would be the least of it. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it's kind of awkward to go out and tell somebody who Jesus is, especially when it's so easy to sit within our homes and be so secretive and not impact the areas in which we exist. I mean, let's be real. Reaching out to your neighbor, that really isn't your cup of tea. 
Because interrupting someone's personal time and space is nothing sweet. And some of you tend to freeze up when called upon to public speak. And besides going to church once a week, that's more than enough for me. I mean, the fellowship is great. I love the sermon topics. And now when I find myself judging others, I've learned to stop it. I'm still a little iffy about that tithing thing, so the money I earn, I pocket. And I've seen how chaotic the world is, but my family's okay, so I'm really not too concerned to stop it. If you feel that way, then my question is this. Tell me, who's helping that single mother that's all alone because some guy failed to be the man that he was called to be? Or what about that broken marriage that you gossip about that God said that he could heal that lives right across the street? I mean, all this change the world talk is cheap. If we can't even walk up to our neighbors and say, hey, would you like to come to church? The cost is free. Tell me who's interceding for that teenager that's obsessed with drugs. Or who's praying for that young lady that's being manipulated into having sex for love. And who's walking her hope for that person who took their life and messed it up. And who's telling that cancerous patient that in Christ it is best to trust. What about that little girl that committed suicide because people like you and I kept the truth inside that had the power to dispute the lie that told her she should choose to die? I mean, how can you say you know who Jesus is, see your own life and recognize what Jesus did, yet sit within your homes and be so secretive and fail to impact the areas in which we exist? See, the truth is this. If your faith isn't touching others, then has it really touched you? Or better yet, if your faith isn't alive in you, then how can you expect it to be life-giving to them? And I know it's not easy, it's challenging. I said it, I get it. And some of you will sit there and say, it's not who I am, it's not what I do, it's not how I was made. See, I was wired different. Well, the only reason why God has placed you in that position is not so you can get the flaunt in your blessings and gifts and so you can be an effective witness as a Christian. And I know it's not easy, but who said it was supposed to be? Put your confidence in the fact that victory belongs to a king who doesn't know defeat. God said, I'll fill your mouth with the word, so go and speak and listen and put your hope in me. So I don't say this to bring condemnation, but I say it to every member, every pastor, every leader in the congregation. See, the world is out there dying and time is wasting, so if you struggle with reaching out the next time you pray, please put this in your conversation. See, no matter how difficult it gets, I will stand. I will stand. In every situation, I commit to give the very best that I can, that I can. So if you're looking for somebody to use the Lord, here I am. Here I am. Would you lead me, guide me, and direct me by the power of your hands, of your hands? I said, God, no matter how difficult it gets here and now, I will take a stand, a stand. And in every circumstance, I commit to give the very best that I can, that I can. So, Lord, if you're looking for somebody to use, then here I am. Here I am. Would you lead me, guide me, and direct me by the power of your hands? Yes. Amen. Amen. See, it's time to change the world. See if we can make it. Amen. I'm going to pass around something to you. I'm going to go over this, and then hopefully we've got a few minutes for Q&A afterwards. Sorry, these are hard to read. Take a minute. We're going to go over these once they get them all. 
by the way, we, uh, we even rap in the middle of our praise and worship sometimes because we just love... God will speak any different way, won't He? Yes. By the way, if any of y'all haven't signed up your folk for game day conference, we, uh, we help run that. And so get your men there. It's going to be awesome this year. And Trell will be rapping at that as well. So it's going to be good. It's going to be good stuff. So let's just jump in and talk about this for a moment. These are, what I wanted to do was give you practical things. I'm a practical person. We can talk emotion all day long, but if we don't give you something in your hands, uh, what's the point? And so these are eight things, and I, on the way here, I realized that I forgot several of them that we do all the time, and I was like, oh, you know, don't you always hate that? After you get in, you're like, I forgot. But I'm going to give you eight of them. The first one is this. These are just ideas, and they, they are based upon various levels of how resources financially. Sometimes you don't have the money. Sometimes you do. But one of the things we've done is we, we have a mantra at our, at our church called uh, Mugging People. And we said, let's go mug some people. And everybody laughs. And we, it's all over social media. And everybody thinks it's awesome. But what we did was we took coffee mugs. We got personalized coffee mugs with the church logo. We filled the coffee mug up with like a really trendy, cool-looking church invitation. We put uh, a hot chocolate packet in it, man, whatever. And, and what we do is see this right here. It's got info on the church. And we just we take neighborhoods, one neighborhood at a time, 300, 400, 500 houses in these neighborhoods. We just show up on a Saturday, and we walk around. We don't bug nobody. We just drop them off at their front porch, man. Boom. Okay? Let me just tell you real quick, and I'll keep going. We've had probably 60% of our church has come and plugged in off of this one single outreach. Okay? We had, we had, uh, we had one person that was praying, and he said, God, he had been out of church for two years, hurt, wounded, a mess. He was driving home. And he said, God, I just need you to give me a sign. I don't have a clue where to go, what to do, but I'm lost and I'm frustrated. Pulled into his driveway, got out of his car, walked up, and this was sitting on his front porch. He's, he's running church setup at our church right now as we speak right now. He runs all the church setup. He's on my executive leadership team. You know what I mean? I could give you a hundred stories off of this kind of stuff right here. And so this is just us hitting the streets, man, and just having a great time. It costs about $3 per mug. That's printing. Uh, that's print. That's making the mug. That's all the printing. The hot chocolate packet, about 3 bucks per. You go hit 200 houses, that's $600. Yes, it costs money, but you just drop off a gift. And here's the greatest thing. You can drop off. People throw away stuff all the time. But you give them a nice coffee mug, it's going to go in the dishwasher. You know what I mean? It's like it's free. You go in the dishwasher, they're going to drink it. One of these mornings, they're going to be having a rough day, confused in their life. And we've had people six months, nine months, a year later, they've had that thing going through their dishwasher, and they finally said, you know what? I'm going to come check out this church. We just had people two months ago that got a coffee mug over a year before that. They've showed up and they're plugging into the church now because it, 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 it sits around. It stays in their home. That is a great outreach, okay? And other churches, large churches in the city have adopted this outreach. Crossroads Church uh, in, in Lithopolis, about 1,000, 1,200 member church. They, they go mugging now. These people are because it works. It's a really good outreach, okay? Number two, ink pens. Personalize the ink pens. You get ink pens. Um, man, have those at the exits of your church doors and tell all your people, take pens everywhere you go, leave one. Go to the bank, hey, I'm going to leave this for you. Just, you know why? Because people, they always have to pick up a pen. They look at pens, man, just ink pens, all right, with a name on it. That could help. Just get your name out there, okay? Postcard invitations. This is, a, this is another one. What we do with our church is at the end of services, every once in a while, we're going to be doing this this week, we'll take 10 postcards with inf- information about the church or something coming up at the church, uh, and we, we put a rubber band around 10 of them, and we stand at the exit doors, and we ask every person in the church on the way out, could you just give these to 10 neighbors? 
find 10 people you know this week before next Sunday and personally invite them to church. Costs you very little, and you're mobilizing your people to do something, all right? Mobilizing your people. We did the same thing with the coffee mugs. We left one service. We handed out one coffee mug to every family, and we put an address on it, a new resident address. And we said, before the sun goes down tonight, will you drop this off and let your family visit this new home? We had, I mean, every single one got dropped off. And can you imagine all these families doing that, all right? Did you get visited by us or... Oh, five minutes. Okay, I thought you were like, yes, hallelujah, we got one. All right, good. All right, thank you very much. Um, uh, All right, parade. If there's a local parade, get involved in your parade. Do a float. Pass out a bunch of free stuff. There's details there. This one is uh, huge. Number five, we just started doing this, okay? Find a, a realtor in your church or someone that you know. They can run a report monthly of all the new residents that have moved into your community, okay? So what we do is we run a monthly report. And in the Pataskal area, there's about 55 to 60 new residents every single month that are purchasing new homes, new, new builds or pre-existing homes. Well, guess what? We get the report. We send a, a, a welcome letter from us. We're the first people they hear from when they move into their new house. Okay? They get a welcome letter. Hey, man, welcome to your new house, man. We're so excited that you're here. And what we've done is we've partnered with local businesses that want to get their name out and it's great to get it out to new people that have moved in, like cupcake shops or pizza places. And we've said, could you give us a coupon for something free? And so we include two or three free coupons in the letter. We say, hey, here's a few gifts for you. Welcome to your new home. God bless you, man. If you need anything, you give us a call. Boom, connection right there. That's an outreach, okay? Um, number six, local business outreach. Um, we, we've done uh, Saturdays where we've gone out and we got, get all the local chamber of commerce, get a list of every business in your community. And we visited every single business and dropped off an invitation or given them a coffee mug or a gift. Just said, hey, I'm Pastor So-and-so. Just want to just wanna connect with you, man. Just anything we can ever do for you guys. Uh, number uh, seven, a uh, huge Easter egg hunt. We do that. A lot of you guys do those kind of things. Advertise, uh, you know, running ads in a, in a bunch of different places. Uh, we've got it on shelter. We've got an ad on a shelter that we pay monthly for. We put signs out everywhere, whatever we can do in the community. And one that we've not listed is this. We've partnered with local schools. And we do a book bag outreach every single fall before school starts. There's three schools, and we supply them all with needed book bags. Uh, but these are practical Things, tangible things that you can do. If you have no money and you can afford 40 bucks in printing, then you can mobilize your people after services to say, take 10 cards, take, take 10 invitations and go pass these out, man. Hit 10 neighbors today. All right, there are tons of things we can do from parades to local outreaches, and, uh, and we want to just give you anything practical that we can think of. Any questions before we go? Um, that you could think of. I know we're tight on time. We have two minutes. I want to make sure I answer anything, any questions about it. I know, I know I said it fast. Forgive me for talking so fast, but we got to fit it all in today. So any questions about anything? Yes? Be careful how you address people when you mug them. Yes. I made a big mistake doing that. Two girls were screaming in the house with their dad. Bad? So <laughs> what? That's great. Said, have you been mugged today? <laughs> yes. Wow. I didn't ask. We just, we, that, hey, that's very witty. We just we just quietly drop ours on the front porch and then we leave. We, we let them determine. But that is, yeah, have you been mugged today? Because I'd like to mug you. That would freak somebody out. I'd have to say that. And anybody else? Any other questions about anything? Yes. Anybody else? Okay. Well, with all of that. 
Um, I'm going to close with a word of prayer, okay? God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. Dear Jesus, I just pray a blessing over all of these amazing, gifted, hardworking, talented, chosen people, God. Lord, I pray that there's some uh, thread of truth from what we talked about today that inspires, encourages, and helps your, uh, your church move forward. God, I just pray a blessing over these people. Father, uh, bring fruit to their effort, God, and bless the things that they place their hands to. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day.